0: You guys doing all right? I don't know about you, but uh, those words really should line up with everything we're just saying should line up with everything that we've been going through in the book of Jonah. Because when I think about moving mountains, when we think about last week what Jonah felt being down at the bottom of the ocean, trapped by his sin, trapped by his heartache or really by his despair, by his disobedience, realizing how far he was from God, realizing that he was that close to death and yet God providing a way. It's really that idea of moving mountains. And I want you to think about this when we think about this. In, in Jonah's life, God moved a mountain by saving him and calling him to go to a people who in reality had a mountain in front of them because they couldn't see God through everything that they knew and had experienced in their lives. What we have to begin to understand is the Ninevites were very religious people, all right? They were very committed to religion, but most of those religions were obviously false gods. They, they had multiple false gods that they worshipped, usually with, through sacrifices, through divination and things like that. And Jonah is called to go to these people in Nineveh to preach the gospel to them. And we all know what happens in the first part of the story. The first part of the story is what? Jonah runs. God calls him and Jonah says, over my dead body, am I going to the Ninevites? You, you're crazy if you're asking me to go there. And, and we, we tried to draw this out to a certain extent. In reality, in our lives today, it would be much like a person in Jewish culture, in Israel, being called to go to the Muslim people In Iraq or Syria and to call them to repentance. That's literally what it is. And if you can open up your mind to that thought process, if you can understand what goes on in the Middle East right now, you would begin to understand what you're asking them to do. That would be like a Jewish person, a Hebrew, literally walking into Palestine, the Palestinian controlled area, and start to stand on the truth of God and calling them to repentance. Do you understand what's going on there now? Does this make it kind of come alive a little bit more? Because that's what God is doing. God, you're going to go to the Ninevites. And he's like, no, I'm not. I hate those people. I despise those people. I despise him to the point that I don't want him to respond. And we're going to get to the rest of the story that we talked about later in in chapter four, all right? But then as a result of his disobedience, God sends a storm, and God allows the storm to not only affect Jonah, but to affect everybody around him, which means all those sailors and everything. And as a result of that storm, Jonah realizes that he's the cause of it. And so we said last week that there are a lot of times that we cause our own storms, Our disobedience to what God has called us to do, God will allow storms to rise up around us to get us to do what we're supposed to do. And so the storm is a result of Jonah's disobedience, but other people suffer as a result. But they realize when, when Jonah's the problem, Jonah says, hey, throw me overboard. If you throw me overboard, everything's going to happen. Everything's going to stop. And so they throw Jonah overboard. And last week, we looked at what it means to really respond to God when we've messed up. And Jonah, in the midst of everything that's going on, cries out to God for salvation. He realizes that he's messed up. He's screwed up. He calls out to God for salvation. He seeks God in prayer. He acknowledges God for who he is. And, and, and so we see what God does. A matter of fact, we talked about it at the very end. He, Jonah acknowledges where it says salvation comes from the Lord. And then as a result of his acknowledgement, as a result of his confession of what's going on, what happens? Remember I, I said something like this. It was like a great pumpkin chunkin', Right? Like the, the whale like... Punk and chucked Jonah out onto the land, you know. Like, it just I, I, I would love to see it. I, I'm, I'm serious. I'm just like, could you imagine? You're on the beach. You're hanging. Like I'm thinking, I'm on Gulf Shores, right? We're, we're hanging on the beach, and all of a sudden, now the water. Who knows? Maybe I don't know. Maybe 50 yards out or something. You just see this dude come flying, Woo! Poof, hits the sea, and you're like. What the heck just happened there? I mean, like, like, I freak out when I see dolphins. I'm like, oh, dolphins, look, you know? But you see this dude come flying out of the water, face plant on the sand. He's pale. His clothes are kind of torn because of the acids from the whales. I mean, you get the picture, right? And we're, now we're in chapter 3. We're, we're, we're continuing on with the rest of the story. Jonah chapter 3, as we dig into it, we're going to see what happens as a result of God's, number one, God's forgiveness, Jonah's confession, God's forgiveness, and then God's call, and what happens again. So if you have your Bibles, Jonah chapter 3, starting in verse 1, and we're going to read the whole chapter, it's only 10 verses, fairly short, but listen to what he says. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, all right? A second time, matter of fact, if you notice our sermon series or sermon title today is The God of Second Chances, all right, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time and he says, go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Now listen, here's the contrast, in Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, God told him to go and in chap- or verse 3, Jonah said, no, I'm out of here, see you later, I disobeyed, I'm gonna-. but listen to this now in verse 3 of chapter 3. What's it say? Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. And now Nineveh was a very important city. A visit required three days. A matter of fact, yours might say it was an exceedingly great city that had three days' breadth. In other words, it was, it was a large city. It would be like walking into the city. It was not going to be something easy to get across. It was a large, very uh, built city. And on the first day, Jonah started into the city. And he proclaimed, 40 days or excuse me, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. And listen to verse five, because I love this. The Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast and all of them from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth. And when the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, he took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth and he sat down in the dust and he issued a proclamation in Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. Do not let any man or beast, herd or flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God and let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. And then verse 10, it says this, When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and he did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. Listen, here's, here's the big picture of what's really going on when we talk about a God of second chances. I believe that number one, God gives Jonah a second chance. But I believe also number two is that God gives the people of Nineveh a second chance, a chance to respond. A chance to change, a chance to repent of what's going on. And so today, we're going to see how God is a God of second chances. And I read a lot this week, and I read some articles where people were like, well, God's not a God of second chances. God is a God of the first chance. But I will stand by this and say this, that God is a God who gives second chances. God is a God who allows you opportunities and realizes you're going to make mistakes. But at the same time, there may be consequences or storms as a result of our mistake that creep up. And what we've got to do is understand that repentance is near. So aren't you thankful for God being a God of second chances? I think about second chances and I think about this. I've never had a second chance on a speeding ticket. Never. Not once. Never. I get pulled over and it's no mercy. It is like, you are done. I got pulled over on Christmas Eve for seven miles an hour over, seven. In a 65 mile an hour zone, I was seven over and I got pulled over. And I'm like, man, I'm sorry. I'm thinking it's Christmas Eve. This guy's going to let me off. You know what he said? Here's your ticket. Have a Merry Christmas. And I thought, man, well, you have a happy new year too. Because I'm not a guy who ever got, I didn't say that. That's what I thought, all right? (laughs) But but maybe he was mad because he had to work on Christmas Eve. I don't know. I mean, I was, yes, I was breaking the law. I was doing seven over. But I'm thinking, it's Christmas Eve. Give a man a break. I've never got off. Now, my wife, on the other hand, has been pulled over and both times got off. Now, maybe it's a guy-girl thing. I don't know. Both times. I know. Yeah, well, both times. (laughs) i'm not telling you how many times i've been pulled over that's irrelevant (laughs) Okay, (laughs) but the reality is and i i say this jokingly but i want you to see what this we all want a second chance everybody likes second chances when you make a mistake you want a second chance everybody i believe deserves second chances. we got to be people who are forgiving who who give out grace, who give out compassion. And what I see today in today's text, what we're gonna see is the reality that God wants to show his compassion and grace. See, a lot of people look and go, well, God's a God of judgment and wrath. And listen to me, I stand by there and I will say this. You will face God's judgment and you will face God's wrath as a result of a rejection of God's compassion and grace. You have to understand that. We as believers have to understand that we oftentimes are like Jonah in that we say things like this I don't want them to experience God's compassion and grace because I don't like them. Look at what they did. Look at who they are. Look at how they treated other people. Do you you see the guiltiness that we begin to bear? Because we really become Jonah. Because God has called us to go to the people of the world with the truth of the gospel, with the grace that Jesus offers, with the the statement that says, look, you're going to be held accountable for your sins. Yes, that's the judgment wrath. But you don't have to be held accountable because of God's grace and God's mercy. And so we begin to see the big picture take place here. We begin to see the rest of the story because a lot of times what happens is we let the things in our heart become the very things that drive us. We let the responses or the actions of the individuals be the very thing where we say, well, I'm not sure if that person deserves to hear the gospel. And I just want to say this to you. When God looked at you, when God died on the cross for you, you didn't deserve it. I didn't deserve it. Do you understand that? If we went based on a rights basis or a deserving basis, you did not get what you deserved because you got grace. As a matter of fact, the Bible says while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That means that he died for those who are still trapped in their sin who are still giving into to the sinful nature, who are going to sin down the road. So we begin to see this big picture take place. The rest of the story begins to take place that God is showing his grace and his mercy to people who need his grace and mercy. And a lot of times it's the very people who have experienced his grace and mercy that don't want others to experience it. So I challenge you today. I want to I challenge us as a church. I want to challenge us as individuals that we look deep within ourselves and ask, is God a God of second chances? God gave me a chance. God gave me the opportunity. God called me. I responded to his call on my life and that's what I want to do. All right, but there are others out there who need to respond to his call as well. So here's the big statement. If you remember anything, I want you to remember this. Obedience in your life may lead to belief for others and listen, the blessing of seeing a revival. Now, growing up in the church, revival was something that happened every year to a certain extent. We just call them revival services. Sometimes there might have been a revival. Sometimes it was, you know, it is what it is. But I'm talking about a community-wide revival. I'm talking about when the church is so passionately in love with Jesus and with his gospel that the church takes the gospel outside the four walls of the building and begins to see a revival. Because I'll stand by this, I will always stand by this, that a church will not reach the community solely on the basis of how good a preacher is, period. I don't care who you are, you're not going to reach everybody solely based upon the fact of who the preacher is. A church grows, a church changes a community as a result of the people being the ones who preach. I'm not necessarily talking about up here because some of you are going, uh-huh, ah, 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 I ain't getting up there. What I'm talking about is when you preach the gospel to those you work with, to those you relate with on a daily basis, to those you connect with, those you don't know, those look, we have opportunities every week to stand on the truth of the gospel and to be obedient in our life so that others can hear the gospel and we might see a revival take place. So as we dig into this, we're going to dig into it in sections. I got four things I want us to see today that I think will stand out. I don't have a question to ask. I just want you to see these four things out of this text that I believe stand out to us that we begin to see. Number one is this. When the Lord speaks, we listen and do. Matter of fact, there's a funny thing In the Hebrew, when it says like in Deuteronomy chapter 6, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Hearing doesn't mean just listening. Okay, In American culture, we're like, did you hear me? Yeah, I heard you. But if I look at my son or my daughter or, hey, did you hear me? I'm basically saying, did you hear what I said and did you do what I said? It's a listen and do aspect that takes place. So when God comes out and he says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. He's saying, I don't want you to just listen to this. I want you to do what I'm asking you to do. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that if you don't do what the Bible says, that you don't even understand who God is because you've walked away from him. So I listen to what the Bible says and I do it. I'm obedient to what God has called me to do out of love and grace and mercy, out of an obedience to God, out of a love for my neighbor or self. So when the Lord speaks, we listen and do. And so we always remember that hearing the word of the Lord means it should be played out in my life. Listen to what he says again. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. A second time. It's the same word, is it not? It's the exact same thing he said. If you look back, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Listen to what it says again in chapter three. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. What is he saying? Listen to me, listen to my word. Listen and do it. Go to it. I'm calling you to it. I've called you to it. A matter of fact, I think about this idea of mountains. A lot of times what we do is we allow God to call us to something, and we begin to see the mountain before us, and so we're like, nope. Do you realize how big that mountain is? That thing's huge. God, you're going to have to move that mountain when God might be saying, no, I'm not moving the mountain. You need to start walking up the mountain. And step by step, I'll be with you to get you over the mountain. So what we begin to do is we have to understand that when the Lord speaks, we listen and we do. We have to put it into action. See, the word of the Lord literally means that God is speaking through his word. I would love to hear the audible voice. I would love to hear the audible voice. But listen to me. The greatest way God speaks to you is, number one, always through his word. Number two is through prayer. And listen, your prayers... And the way he speaks to you through prayer, through a time of focusing on his word and seeing what he's doing, is going to line up with Scripture. It's not going to contradict. So don't come to, to, come, come to the pastor or come to somebody signs and go, "Hey, the Lord called me to do this if it contradicts God's word." Because God only speaks through the truth of his word. And he's going to convict us. He's going to call us. He's going to do things like that through his word. And so we begin to see that the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. And he says, go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. See, the second time is a huge deal. But listen to all the things that go on. He's, trilly, he's literally saying, I want you to proclaim the message I gave to you. What do you speak? What are you going to speak? How are you going to speak when you talk to a person who doesn't know the gospel? And I stand by this. I believe it's based upon scripture. What we can see is that God says, when you stand before people, that I will give you the words to speak. And I think the reason is this. When I spend time in God's word, I begin to take in God's word. I begin to memorize God's word. I begin to grow in God's word. Then when God gets me in front of somebody to talk to somebody, guess what starts coming out? God's word. Why? Because out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Matter of fact, I'll even say this. If you begin to see stuff fading or failing out of your mouth, if I begin to let loose of a few choice words, if I begin to say some things about some people, if I begin to question or doubt or I begin to gossip about somebody or I begin to look at somebody and go, "Ah, I don't think they deserve the gospel, then I would almost challenge you and venture to say, number one, you're probably not spending a lot of time in God's word, you're not memorizing God's word and you're probably not praying. Because isn't it funny that when we start to talk about people and we're convicted by God's word and we're reading God's word, that God convicts us very quickly of how wrong we are. See, Jonah listened and obeyed the second time. And listen, God is a God of second chances. We talked about this. Matter of fact, I want you to think about this. Adam sinned in the garden, and God covered his sin. Second chance. Moses murdered a man, and God called him and still used him. David basically had a man murdered, Committed adultery with this woman, and God still used that man. Peter denied Christ three times right before his death, and God used Peter in a great, great way. So God is always a God of second chances. God gives these guys opportunities, but I also have to also, we, we really have to be thinking about this. I think it would be foolish to always think that there's always going to be a second chance. There might not be a second chance. There might be the one chance, the one opportunity. So we can't be so foolish to think that there will always be a second chance, but we should have an attitude of thankfulness for every second chance we get. Every opportunity we get a chance to get a second try. I mean, I think about how many times I've screwed up on things and just thinking, man, I wish I could go back and redo that. I mean, I would do a complete reset on high school. (laughs) I'm serious a complete reset on high school there are things I look back and I'm like man I should have done that different you know maybe it was a decision I had to make in a leadership position and you came out one way and later on you're like yeah I shouldn't have done that you know I remember our first year this is our first year in Springfield as a youth pastor we went to uh, Johnson shut-ins anybody been to Johnson shut-ins you know what I'm talking about what Y'all are missing out. All right, Johnson shut-in. It's kind of down southeast Missouri. It's like this river, really cool rocks. You can slide, and there's all these areas to play. It's awesome. Uh, great day. We'll go out there for like three, four hours. There's a campground, everything out there. But we take our teenagers over there when we went to this camp. And the first year I was there, they had this cliff area. You can hike. You can basically climb up. It's about 35, 40 feet off the water. Now, about halfway up, there's a sign that says, no cliff jumping. Well, I was down at this one end, and the teenagers or some of the teenage boys had come down to this end. Well, as I come down, I see one of our teenage boys jump, and another one jump, and then I went up and climbed. I didn't even see the sign at first. I go up, I jump, pff, we're hitting the water, and the second time up, I see the sign, and I'm like, oh, man, that stinks. But I'd done all kinds of cliff jumping down to Stockton, and I'm like, ah, oh, it's not that big a deal. We're jumping in deep water, never touch the bottom, we'll hit. So I jump a second time, everything's fine, next kid down, goes to jump, slips, and I mean he missed the base rock by this far, and I mean it was instantaneous, stopped, nobody's jumping again. So I'm looking back at second chances, and I'm thinking, second chance, the minute I saw that sign, I would have called all those dudes down and said, you ain't jumping, not on this watch, but I didn't, I just let it go. Looking back, dumb, stupid decision. Thankfully, nobody got hurt. It was pretty decking close. But I'll never forget that thing. Second chances are huge. And so God must do something in us or to us or through us before he does anything through us. All right? So we begin to see what he says. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Here is how God works in Jonah and, and, and to Jonah before he could do anything through Jonah. He comes to Jonah the second time. Listen, none of this would have been a result if Jonah hadn't come to his confessional point, his realization that the storm was caused by him. But as a result of the storm, Jonah realized, hey, there's some consequences I got to go through. He takes it upon himself. He confesses his sins. He repents. He calls on God for salvation. God saves him. And as a result, now, because of what God has done in Jonah, as a result of his disobedience, God is going to work through Jonah in a great way. So we begin to see that, that, that God uses what was a negative thing for a positive thing. So when the Lord speaks, we listen and do. Number two, I believe, is this. And this, this is kind of a stolen. I've used it before. But obedience is always our success. My, our, my parents' church, they have these core values. And one of them is obedience is our success. All right? But I want you to think about this. As a result of Jonah's obedience... He was successful in what he did. Listen to me. You can do nothing more than be obedient. Success is up to God. But when we are obedient, God classifies that as success. Do you see that big picture? When I am obedient to what God has called me to do, God says that's successful. Why? Because I'm going to work in you in order to work through you. When you're obedient, God is working in you, calling you to do what he's calling you to do, saying what he's going to say, and then God is going to work through you in an extraordinary way. Why? Because you're obedient first. If I want to be successful in a ministry, if I want to be successful in my family life, my home life, my work life, if I want to see people come to Christ, then God has to work in me first in order to work through me second. So obedience is our success. Look at verse 3. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Huge thing, right? Before he disobeyed and ran, this time he obeyed and he went to Nineveh. Went on his way. Doesn't say how long it took him there. I don't think it's even relevant. It's just the fact that he was called and now he goes. Jonah went. See, I stand by this and I stand by it wholeheartedly. All of us are called to preach the gospel. All of us, not just some, not just a few. Go and make disciples was given to every disciple of Jesus Christ. Every person who's followed Jesus Christ, go and make disciples. It's, a simple, it's as simple as just talking about who Jesus is, what Jesus did, what Jesus did in your life. And listen, we're going we're gonna to work towards this. We're going to have some more evangelism classes coming up here soon so that you can do that. I think the simple fact is this, the more I read God's word, the more I take in God's word, the more I speak about who God is and what God has done in my life, the more I'm able to preach to those I know. I, I, and I'll make this sound bad because I think everybody needs to understand and know him. but I'm not a person who's big on particular evangelism styles because evangelism style works different for everybody. One person's a Romans road guy. Another person's a share Jesus without fear guy. Another person's the four spiritual laws. Another person's like, I just use my testimony and I share what God's done in my life. Those are all great examples. So to sit down and just say, hey, this is the way you're gonna share the gospel, you gotta know what's going on. I believe the very simple thing, just as I said earlier, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. When I take in God's word, then God's word is gonna come out. So obedience is our success. And I think about this too when I, when I was evaluating this text of scripture. See, when we're faithful and obedient to do what God has called us to do, then God uses his supernatural power to work in us to accomplish his purpose. Listen to what happens again. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very important city. A visit required three days. And on the first day, Jonah stayed. Uh, started into the city. He proclaimed, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. The What I read on this is that here's how it would basically play. The government buildings would have been about a one-day journey into the city of Nineveh. So the idea would be that Jonah went in, most likely visible for what he had gone through. Jonah goes into the city, and he begins to meet with the leaders, the people who are in influential positions, and he proclaims them this message. All right, 40 more days, and is going to be in trouble. is going to be destroyed. 40 more days, and Nineveh will be overturned. And so he proclaims this message, and as a result, we see what really most every church that I know of has prayed for. It's called revival. It's community transformation. It's a change in the community, a change in the hearts of the people as a result of the truth of God being preach. And so number three is this. We talked about number two, obedience is our success. Number three is that God can change anyone and everyone. God can change anyone and everyone. Listen to what happens in the following verses, verses five and following. The Ninevites believed God and they declared a fast and all of them from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth. See, God's word is as good as he is. God's word spoken is as good as he is. And there's an old saying that a man is as good as his word, right? Like, I've heard, I've heard people say this, man, you can just can't trust people's word anymore. But there's that old saying that a, man's, uh, a man is as good as his word. Well, God is as good as his word and his character is behind what he said. And so listen, if he's called you to do something, he's good at what he's told you he would do. He's as good as his word. His character is behind it. And so God can change anyone and everyone. Listen again to what happens. They all put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least. And then verse six, when the news reached the king of Nineveh, there's something huge that we have to pick up here. He rose from his throne. He took off his royal robes. He covered him with sackcloth, himself with sackcloth, and he sat down in the dust. Do you get the picture of what just took place by a king? The king rises from the thing that he is exalted on, takes off his royal robes, his robes that delineate him between the poor people, the peasants. He takes those off. He makes himself a peasant, basically, by covering himself in sackcloth. And what does he sit down in? The dust. Listen, here's the big picture. It's from the greatest to the least, that the gospel is always good for. It's for the political leaders on down to the poorest person in the community that God died for. And this picture played out is literally a point where the, the king is literally humbling himself. He's laying himself down and he's saying, look, it, everything I'm laying, I'm laying before God and I am, I am acknowledging that I am on an equal stand with these people as well. That I am confessing, that I am repenting, that I am covering myself, I am, I am mourning. All right? Matter of fact, I'm gonna give you this idea that fasting is a symbol for the affliction of the soul. All right? When they fast, there was an affliction, there's a turmoil, there's a trouble, there's a, a problem over. In other words, they're fasting over what's going on. And this is huge because I told you earlier, the Ninevites were usually people who would sacrifice. To their gods they would have libations and, and all these different things that would that would be towards their gods, but instead they fasted. why? Because there was turmoil. We were just threatened that we're going to face destruction. so they fasted number one, number two, sackcloth. you guys have to understand and, and we all have to understand this that sackcloth was a symbol of poverty and mourning As a matter of fact. A lot of the prophets, when they would go and preach, would go and preach in sackcloth. Why? Because they were mourning over the sin of the people they were proclaiming the gospel message to. It was their way of putting themselves in a proper stance, in a proper position, acknowledging really where they belonged. So sackcloth was a, a symbol of mourning. And so what you see is the people of Nineveh who are saying, look, we've got this turmoil, this inner turmoil inside where we realize our brokenness. We realize our sinfulness, and we're mourning over it. It's a repentance for what they've done. And I love how the king issues this. So the king makes himself at the the same level with the people, and so we see that God can change anyone and everyone, regardless of their class, regardless of their political affiliation in today's over-politicized, weird-crazed world where honestly both sides disgust me. And I hope you feel the same way. I don't care where you stand politically. You should be disgusted by what's said towards anybody the way it's been said. The fact that a Democratic congressman can or congresswoman can stand up and say things about people like that or the fact that A Republican leader can say the things about other people. It's ridiculous. It's pathetic. It's not gospel centered. It's not Jesus centered. And it's gross. God can change anyone and everyone. And I think that's the thing we begin to see. And number four is this. And it's the one I think we got to see the most that God's second chance is compassion and grace. I love what the king does starting in verse six. Do not let any man or beast, herd or flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. In other words, mourning, putting their place, putting themselves in a proper place. And then listen to what he says. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. And who knows, God may relent and with his compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. See, Jonah goes in and he pre- proclaims God's judgments coming because of your sinfulness. And what I'm here to tell you that we see point blank throughout the gospel, is something that's uncomfortable in many people's eyes, is that God's judgment and wrath will come at some point. But listen to me, God's compassion and grace right now is calling out. He's saying, I am a God of compassion, I am a God of mercy, I am a God of love, and I'm offering you this free of charge because it's not based upon anything you can do. It's not based upon how much you pay, how much you give, how much you go to church, how much you know. It's not based upon any of that. It's not based upon your works. It's solely based upon the free gift that Jesus offers as a result of him being obedient to what God the Father sent him to do. Remember where Jesus says, not my will, but yours. But yet I will be obedient to what you've called me to do. So God's compassion, God's grace, and God's mercy is played out. And listen, as a result of their Listen, repentance, repentance is going one way, turning the other way. They realize their sinfulness, They're heading one way, and the king calls them to repent, calls them to call out to God, calls them to confess their evil ways, give up their evil ways and their violence, and turn to God, and listen to what happens in verse 10. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had what? Compassion. And as a result of God's compassion, remember God's compassion is God's wisdom. And God's wisdom according to the world is foolishness because Jesus on the cross is foolishness according to those who are perishing, but according to those who are in Christ it is the very wisdom of God is the very thing that offers us life. God's second chance is compassion and grace. And here's the grace because he did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. Instead, he offers them life. If you have your Bibles, real quick, flip to to Luke chapter 11. And I'm going to close with this. Because in Luke chapter 11, we see where Jesus is talking to the crowds. And as the crowds increased, in, in verse 29, it says that Jesus said that this is a wicked generation. It asked for a miraculous sign, but none will be given it except for the sign of Jonah. And everybody's like, what? The sign of Jonah? What? What's this guy talking about? And Jesus says, For as Jonah was assigned to the Ninevites, so also will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them, for she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom, and now one greater than Solomon is here. Listen, the men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and will condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And now one greater than Jonah is here. Listen to what Jesus is saying. This is the promise that he's saying. Look, the the, the wicked people of Nineveh turned and repented at Jonah's message. But you Pharisees, this is who Jesus is talking to. You Pharisees that are asking for another sign, that aren't looking to Jesus, you don't understand that the men of Nineveh, the people who confessed, the people who turned, the people who repented, the ones who called on God, They're going to stand in judgment over you. Why? Because they responded to God's grace and compassion and you didn't. They've responded to God's grace and God's love and God's mercy. Instead, you have chosen God's judgment because you thought it's about what you can do. And so Jonah is the story of second chances. Jonah is given a second chance to take the message of the gospel to the people. And the Ninevites are given a chance to put their faith and trust in God, a God of compassion and a God of grace, but a God who will judge everybody equally in the end. And so there's two ways to see it you're either in Christ or you're apart from Christ. And that's the reality. It's not a message everybody likes to hear, but it's a message of the gospel. And so here's what I want to do as we close, very simply, is this. I want to ask you the simple question, where do you fit in the story? Maybe God's calling you to go to a very people who need to hear of God's compassion and grace. Matter of fact, I would even say that that's where God lines up most of the time, is he's calling you. I can't be at your workplace every time. Your Sunday school teacher, your life group leader can't be with with you at your workplace or you at a family reunion or you hanging out with your friends on Friday night. But you are, and you may be the very person that God is calling to reach out to your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers, your family with the gospel. And you got one of two options. I can obey or I can disobey. But maybe you're also a Ninevite. And listen, maybe you're a person who for the longest time has rejected God's calling. You've you've ran to your own religious ideas, your own thoughts. But God has been calling out to you. God's been saying, hey, you need to turn. You need to repent. You need to turn from your evil ways. Confess your sins and go the other way. Follow me. Put your faith and trust in Christ. Those are the two options that you see throughout the story of Jonah. And that, in reality, is the rest of the story. Now we're going to look and wrap it up next week with what Jonah does and how he really throws a temper tantrum, a no-good temper tantrum, because he didn't get his way, and God got his way, and that may be where you're at, but I don't know. The reality is this. You've got two choices, to obey or disobey. What do you choose? Father, we thank you. How your word, a simple story from a minor prophet, what we've always considered a minor prophet just because of the length of the message, can be such a major truth for us. That God, your grace, your mercy and compassion is evident to all, is calling out. We just have to be obedient. So God, today there may be somebody here who's never put their faith and trust in you. And I pray, if that's you today, that you would just simply know that the Bible says that if you believe that Jesus died on the cross and he rose again, that you would be saved. That you confess it with your mouth and believe it in your heart, you would be saved. But now's the time to make it public. And maybe you've never made it public before. You just say, we've got to make it public. I've got to let people know that I put my faith and trust in Christ for the first time. So as you do that, as we're singing, I'm going to be down here in front. We just want to pray with you. We want to talk about, with you about the decision that you've made. But listen to me, believer, if you're a believer here, you've put your faith and trust in Christ, but maybe you've walked in disobedience, you've walked away from God, what God has called you to do, the simple fact is this, that you confess just like Jonah did, that you turn and that you be obedient, that you listen and you do God's word. So God, we pray that you'd speak to our hearts today and that you'd convict us as we close with a song. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.